Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. So it's easy to find. Verse 1. Jesus is speaking. And Jesus says, Judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it'll be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened." Or what man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Father, as we come before your word tonight, we want you to be our teacher. We want you to instruct us. We want you to speak your truth into our hearts. So Lord, may we have open ears, open minds, open hearts to what you want to instruct us tonight. God, I thank you so much for these precious men and women you've brought to this place tonight. I thank you for the great privilege it is for me to open up your scriptures and to share them with these, Lord, my friends. And so, God, I pray we would hear from you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I know you have, but have you ever heard someone say to you, don't judge me, brother. Don't judge me. I know the Bible says it. I don't know where. (laughs) I don't know the context. But I know somewhere in that book, Jesus or somebody must have said, don't judge. You know, it's one of those few verses that every heathen knows is somewhere in the scriptures. Somewhere. And if you are sharing with them about how God loves them, about the plan that God has for their lives, but (laughs) they need to repent and turn from their sin and get right, well, invariably, you're going to hear the phrase, hey, don't judge me, brother. Don't judge me. It's in the scriptures. It's what the Bible says. Now, on the one hand, they are right. We just read it. It is in the Bible. Jesus did say, do not judge. Unlike those who say things, you know, like uh, God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. Remember, that's what grandma says. That's grandma's Bible. That's not, that's not the Bible. Or, or when they say to you, you know, the Bible says, cleanliness is next to godliness. Listen, I don't like your stink as much as the next person. But the reality is, that's not a verse in the scriptures. It's not, it's not. But when they say, the Bible says, judge not, it does, it does. But the context in which Jesus said this, what he meant, well, it's our next lesson tonight in being discipled by Jesus. We're doing a series here on Wednesday nights I've entitled, Being Discipled by Jesus. 
Well, we're looking at those passages of Scripture where Jesus wasn't pouring into the multitudes necessarily. They kind of found themselves in the study sometimes by the end of it. And not necessarily him rebuking the Pharisees, but when he pulled those guys aside who were really going to turn the world upside down or right side up or however you want to look at it and shared with them kingdom truths. And the first section we're looking at is this Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has been teaching them and us, hey, there are some attitudes you need to have. There's some attitudes you need to have that if you have them, well, the smile of God will be upon your life. Then we noted that those attitudes are not to be lived in some Christian commune only. No, we're to live them out in the, in the, in the neighborhoods, in the culture, in the community in which God has placed us. We're to be what? Salt and light. We've seen that Jesus took six Old Testament examples of the law and he showed us how our, our righteousness as disciples needs to go beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus' disciples would have thought, that's impossible. Those are the holiest guys we know. But he went on to show them, no, no, no. They're just fulfilling the outward part of the law. They're finding loopholes to live in their lust and their sin. I want you to have righteousness from the heart. Then the Lord shared with his disciples. He showed us the right way to do religious things. He told us that it's not if we give or if we pray or if we fast. But if you're going to be a disciple, friend, it's when you pray. It's when you give. It's when you fast. And then he shared with us, hey, it matters how you do those things too. Because if you're doing those things to be, well, have people see your good works and glorify God, hey, gold star, good for you. But if you're doing those things so people would see you and glorify you, so they could sing hallelujah me instead of hallelujah, well, guess what? Not so good. (laughs) That's not the heart of a disciple. Jesus, last week we looked at, said that not only all those things, but how we view our stuff, how we view our resources, our, our time, our talents, our money, how we view those things will affect us. Our culture loves to say, no, what I do on Sunday doesn't affect the way I live Monday through Friday. That's not even true, even if you wanted it to be. Because how you view your stuff, it's going to affect your heart, your mind, and your will. Well, tonight we move on to, well, the lesson about judging. Jesus clearly says, look again in chapter 7, verse 1, Judge not, that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is teaching us not to judge. But again, Bible students, we've got to get the context. You've got to understand that up until this point, the disciples, those that wanted to be spiritual, they really had two examples of how to be and how to follow when they would treat other people. Their religious examples up to this moment when Jesus blows their mind with new truth is they had, number one, the Pharisees. They can look at these Pharisees. And if you don't know, oh, understand, the Pharisees, the way they would deal with others is they would look down their noses at them. You know, they would look down and just kind of say, I am so, in fact, in, fact in, in Luke chapter 18, we have the instant where there's a man pouring out his heart before God. God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I can't even look up into the heavens. And then there's a Pharisee right next to him. And you remember how he prayed? God, thank you that I'm not like that guy. You know, again, we read our Bibles with our latte in our hand. It's like, oh, that's so nice. That's so. Can you imagine really listening to someone pray that way? Can you imagine if I opened up the service tonight and said, 
Thank you, Lord. I'm not like Tom Mangione. Thank you so much. Thank you so... I, I don't mean that, Tom. I'm just saying, imagine. Imagine if I opened the service that way, you would go, what? 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 You, don't, you don't pray that way. But the Pharisees did because they really believed those things. They really believed they were better than other people. So the disciples are thinking, is that the way I treat others? Just looking down my nose at them and thinking, I'm glad I'm not like them. Or, of course, the other extreme, the Sadducees. You know, they were a lot more liberal in their understanding. And so it was kind of like, hey, I'm okay, you're okay. It doesn't matter how you live. God's going to be okay with you. And this was their wonder. Do, do I have to be someone who, who seems to be grouchy and mean? Or do I have to be somebody that's all-inclusive? And Jesus, Jesus teaching them, no, no. It's not the way of the Pharisees or the Sadducees that's it. There's the way of a disciple. And a disciple, friends, get it, get it, get it, a disciple... A disciple is one who lovingly, gently, led by the Holy Spirit, is critical of our own hearts. And then, by the power of God, we're able to see what's going on in other people's lives as well. But it's gentle. It's loving. It's led by the power of the Holy Spirit before we ever get to a critical examination of our hearts and others. You see, most people just camp out in critical, don't they? They just do. In fact, I love this from Dr. DeHaan in his book. He, uh, he wrote this, Men Sent from God, and he lists some of the criticisms that pastors receive. He says, if the pastor is young, they say he lacks experience. If his hair is gray, he's too old for the young people. If he has five or six kids, he's irresponsible. If he has no children, he's setting a bad example. That's why I settled on three. If he uses a lot... Pastor Rob is my example. If he uses a lot of illustrations, he neglects the Bible. If he does not use enough, he's not relevant. If he condemns wrong deeds, he's cranky. If he does not, he's compromising. If he drives an old car, well, he shames his congregation. If he drives a new one, he's setting his affection on earthly things. The point? You can't win. You can't win with critical people. And it's not just for pastors. People have been, I mean, you remember how they treated Jesus versus John the Baptist? With John the Baptist, they said he's weird. He's out in the wilderness. He's all alone. He thinks he's so holy. How can he be a real minister from God? So Jesus comes along, shows up at the gatherings, and what do they call him? A wine bibbler and a drunkard and a glutton, whatever. But you know what I mean. They're never happy. They're never happy with you because some people, some people just feel that they have the, the gift of criticism. Oh, I've got a spiritual gift. It's the gift of criticism. Friends, that's not a spiritual gift. It's not. It's nowhere in 1 Corinthians 11. It's nowhere in, it's not in the, you do not have the gift of criticism. But some people do, and when you encounter them, oh, well, now you know the, the reference. Matthew 7, 1, judge not. But what does it really mean? Friends, that word judge, it's the word crino, and it means to judge to condemnation. To judge to condemnation. To look at someone and say, that guy is obviously not saved. He's not going to heaven. Friends, we're not to be walking around observing people's activity and then we get to decide their eternal destiny. And there are some great reasons not to walk around like a Pharisee. Not to walk around with your nose up at people looking down at them. I don't know you put your nose up and look down, but you can figure it out if you have the gift of criticism. We're not to be walking around like that, and Jesus tells us why. The first reason, great reason, he says, because how you judge people, that judgment's going to be measured back to you. 
Isn't that what he said in verse 2? He said, the judgment that you use, it's going to be measured back to you. You see, if you're going around with the attitude of a Pharisee, people are going to watch you very closely. If you're going to be critical, they're going to be critical of you. You see, it's why the Bible does say that love covers a multitude of sins. And it really does. It really does. And it goes both ways. I can have love for somebody and not be affected by the little things they do. But on the other hand, as I love on others with the love of Christ, guess what? It'll cover some of the dumb things I do. And as you love on people, as you show them the love of Christ, it'll cover some of the dumb things you do. Did you just say I do dumb things? I did. We all do. Don't judge me. We all do. We all do dumb things at times and we need grace and forgiveness. And the best way, man, to not be critical of others. Another reason though, another reason Jesus gives to not be critical is first, we need to deal with our own stuff. First, we need to deal with our own issues. Look at verse three. He says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Jesus is being, well, really, I think he's being funny here. He's teaching them, you want to be involved in other people's lives as disciples. But there's an issue. You want to deal with the little speck that they have in their eye, and you're walking around with a honking plank sticking out of your eye. That, that can't be. He says, first, you've got to deal with the plank in your eye before you're able to deal with the speck in your brother's, in your sister's eye. Now, listen, this is so important. To understand the wording that Jesus is using, a speck could be translated a bit of sawdust. And a plank, well, a plank, it was a big old block of wood. And why that's interesting to me is if you think about it, the little bit of sawdust, what is it? It's a little bitty part of what you're struggling with in your life. And that is so true. So often what irritates me about others (laughs) is something I need to deal with in my own heart. And, And be careful of that. Because so often we can look at others and say, oh, I don't like how critical they are. Oh, really? I don't like how lazy they are. Really? So often it's what I'm struggling with in my own heart, in my life. We see that all throughout the scriptures. Remember David? David, David was a great king, the greatest king of Israel. But he had a low moment, didn't he? When he's looking off his balcony and he sees Bathsheba, he takes her to himself and has Uriah killed and tries to cover up his sin, thinks he gets away with it. Until Nathan the prophet shows up. Hey, David, I got a little story for you. Oh, I like stories. Tell me away. Well, well, this this, this is a true story. Okay, even better. There was a man in your kingdom that had many, many lambs, many sheep. He's a wealthy, wealthy man. And he lived right across the street from a guy that just had one little precious lamb and he loved that little lamb he brought it into his house he fed it let it sleep in his bed and and and, oh well this rich man he, he had a friend come to town and instead of taking one of his flocks in his own household well he went across the street to that man that had that one little lamb and he took it and slaughtered it and served it as food for his friend and the bible tells his friends that david was incensed He was angry, so angry, he says, that man must what? You know the story, die. He's got to die. Whoa, David, hold on a second. That was even exceeding 
what the Old Testament law says was to happen to the guy. If you stole from someone, you were to, re- were to restore sevenfold. In other words, what really should have happened is the rich man should have given that guy seven lambs. But David's like, no, he must die. Why? Because it was him. It was him and nails him on it. It's you, you're the man, David. You're the man. Oh man, our sin looks so much worse on other people. So I've got to deal with my own heart. I've got to deal with my own sin. Why? Catch this though. So I can then minister to someone else. You see, both examples and both extremes is not where Jesus wants you and I. We're not to stick up our noses like the Pharisees and say, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like him. But nor are we to say, hey, it's okay. It doesn't matter how you live. It's okay. Just do whatever you want. No, 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 no. First, first, I need to deal with my own heart so I can see clearly to deal with someone else. Isn't that what Jesus says in verse five? He says, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, Jesus is making the point. I want you to first deal with your stuff, with your issues. But the reason I want you to deal with your issues is so that I can use you in the life of others because that's what the body of Christ is all about. And he's teaching us how to deal with others. He says you first deal with your own stuff, your own issues. You've got to or you're not going to be able to see clearly. My wife, love my wife. She tells a story about her driving back from Bible college when she was a student out there in Marietta and going down the 15, coming back here to North County. She was just, she, she, she all of a sudden was in a fog bank. And it was kind of scary driving in this fog bank because, well, it's just scary if you can't see what's right in front of you, especially on a major highway. But, but more than that, what was scaring her even more, what, what, what seemed like the total disregard of everybody else around her to the fog. People were flying by her at normal speed, 75, 80 miles an hour, going, ah, as they cruised on by. And she thought, what? what? These people are crazy. I don't get this. I don't understand this. And how come they, they can't see in this? How can they see in this fog? So, so she, deci- she decided, maybe if I roll down my window and stick my head out, I'll be able to see better in the fog. So she rolls down her window and she sticks out her head. And the minute the cold air rushed into the house, it dealt with all the... You know, just condensation. There was no fog. It was her own hot breath in the car that was producing the fog. This is before I met her. I love her. I love her. And I tell you that story, not because I want to be in trouble tonight, but, but the reason I tell you the story is because I think some of us, the Lord would say, you need to roll down the window. You've got something going on that you can't see. And you're so critical of him and you're so critical of her and... You want to be used of the Lord, but, but you can't even see what really needs to happen in other people's lives. And you, you need to deal with your own heart so that then I can use you to minister to others. In Psalm 51, you might want to write it down and you can study it later on your own, but that's David's heart. David, David says this, just a few ex- excerpts. He says, have mercy on me, O God. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. I acknowledge my transgressions. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. He says, purge me from hyssop that I would be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then listen, listen. He says, then, then I will teach transgressors your ways and then sinners will be converted to you. Do you hear that? 
David says, God, I want you to cleanse me. God, I want you to wash me. I want you to deal with my heart. And when you do, then I can minister to other people. Then I can get involved in kingdom work and begin to work in other people's lives. You see, even though we need to deal with the, the, you know, the, the plank in our own eye, God loves your friend that has a speck in his eye too. And he wants to deal with that speck because a speck is no, that's no little thing. And you, you ever gotten something in your eye? <laughs> oh, I remember one day, most of you know I play golf or used to play golf and maybe someday again. But the reality is, 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 is I, I remember one day being in a bunker and I hit this shot and a little piece of sand flew right up and hit me in the eye. And then just like it was from the devil, went right under my contact. Oh. I mean, I know I'm a wimp, but you, the people playing with me that day probably thought I got shot. I mean, they probably did, because my reaction was something like, ah, you know, ah, put me out of my misery, you know, because something in your eye, no matter how minuscule, that's serious. That's serious, and God loves your friend. He loves your neighbor. He doesn't want him walking around with a speck in his eye. None of us go, oh, you know, I'll be, I got a splinter in my eye, but I'll just deal with it, you know, come Friday. I know. You want to deal with it right away, and God wants to deal with it too. And so he says, I want you to deal first with your heart so you can minister to others. But again, how? How? I deal with me first, and then gently, lovingly, patiently, I mean, if someone's going to work on our eye, our, our real eye, that's the kind of person I want. You know, I don't want my son working on my eye. My seven-year-old son, oh, I love him to death. He is not my eye doctor because <laughs> he's not gentle. He hasn't, he hasn't even a concept of what that is yet. You know, he, he comes in and just, morning, dad, boom, you know, and oh, I don't want him working on my eye. I want a doctor that's Gentle patient and so too spiritually if i'm going to come into someone else's life i want to i want to be gentle i want to be loving i want to be patient and there needs to be listen wisdom and discernment because who does god want you to get involved in it's not everybody Who's ready to have you minister to their hearts in their lives? It takes discernment. It takes a certain type of judgment. Jesus illustrates that in verse 6 when he says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus is telling us here that obviously there is a time for judgment. There is a time for discernment. You see, if there was never a time to look at someone's life and make a wise, discerning choice, then how would I know when someone is at a place where they're spiritually acting like a dog? They're spiritually acting like a a pig. Oh, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He's not calling people dogs and pigs. But nor is he saying, you know, we think of a pig, we think of Wilbur. Oh, Wilbur, Charlotte's Web. We think of a dog, we think of a little puppy. That's not the case in Jesus' day. Pigs were unclean animals. They weren't to eat or touch. Dogs, <laughs> you didn't have them as pets. You didn't have them as pets. They were scavengers, scoundrels. And so when Jesus is saying this, what he's saying is that some people, they're not in a place to receive from you. They're not ready to have you minister in their lives. And you, as a disciple, hear me on this, you've got to know. 
You've got to know who it is that God is calling you to come alongside and be an instrument of discipleship in their hearts and in their lives. You've got to know who God is preparing and who's ready to be ministered to. And that does take discernment. It does take judgment. Not for condemnation, but for identification. To see who it is and where they're at. And we'll get into this more next week when we see how we determine what a false prophet is. There is a time, friends. There is a time to have discernment, to have wisdom, to have judgment in our lives. But the question is, how? How do I know when someone is someone God wants me to minister to? How do I know when that person is ready to receive a word from the Lord? How do I know? Oh, look at verse 7. Verse 7, Jesus tells you, he says, ask. So brilliant, so simple. He says, ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and to he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread? We'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to him who asks? How do I know? How do I know? I need the Holy Spirit. Wait a second. In all those verses you just read, I didn't read anything about the Holy Spirit. What did you just do to me? Well, listen. We get the full expansion of what Jesus was saying in these verses in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 11. And what Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 11 is what Jesus is is instructing us to ask for, to seek and to knock. You see, he's saying, you need to keep asking me. You need to keep coming to me and keep knocking. You need something from me as a disciple. But friends, what is it? What do we need to keep asking and keep knocking and keep seeking? You know, if you turn on some people on Christian TV... You would think that what we really need to keep asking for is a new car or more money or that hot girl or the strong man, whatever it is. Now listen, listen, listen. God does care about your needs. He does, he does. But that's not the context here. He says, I want you to keep coming, keep seeking, keep asking me because I want to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You see, the reality is, how do I know? I don't know. I don't know what to say to people. I don't know what they need to hear. I don't have wisdom to give to them. And neither do you. Wow, this is encouraging tonight. (laughs) You don't, but guess what? He does, friends. He does. He does. It has always blessed me so much to see the wisdom of Jesus as he's walking around planet Earth. It seems with each person he encounters, he knows just what to say to them. I mean, consider, I mean, in John chapter 3, he meets Nicodemus. And as he ministers to Nicodemus, how does he do it? Super theological. He's talking about being born again. And Nicodemus at first is like, what do I, I got to climb into my mother's womb. He's like, what? You're a teacher of Israel. How come you don't understand these things? And he's, he's deep. He's theological with Nicodemus, who was a teacher. And he hits him right where he needs to hit him. And Nicodemus, well, all indications, man, get saved. Sees the Lord. But then the next chapter is John 4. And Jesus is ministering to a woman by the well. And you'll notice it wasn't deep theological things he shared with her that day. He said to her, hey, hey, why don't you, uh, 
why don't you go get your husband? To which she responded, I don't have one, big boy. She didn't say big boy, but I just imagine. I imagine the way she was. I mean, we know in the scriptures, he, you know, probably was a carpenter, maybe a stonemason. I mean, you know, I'm sure, I don't know. Anyways, but Jesus, what he said, he said, he looked at her and goes, well, you're right. You've been married five times and the guy you're currently living with, you haven't decided to get married. And the walls came down in her heart. But then the next chapter is John 5. And in John 5, Jesus is at the pool of Bethesda. And there he is ministering to this man who's been crippled for years. And he doesn't share deep theological truths with this guy. He doesn't ask him about his marital status. He says, do you want to be made well? And the walls come down. And I read that and I just think, oh, the wisdom. The wisdom of Jesus. Because I'm not that way. You know, I talk to someone, they get saved and it works. And I'm like, I found the secret to salvation. I say A, then I say B, and then C happens, and they get saved. And so for the next 10 conversations, I don't know the Lord. Oh, 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 I know what to say. I know what to say. A, B, do you want to get saved? No. No. (laughs) A equals B equals C equals C. What? How can you not want to get saved? And I go away discouraged. I go away thinking, I thought... That worked on the plane last week. What's happening? I need, you need, we need as disciples the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God of our lives, just like the disciples of that generation did. When Jesus was leaving, they're like, what are we going to do? It was you that told us where to go. It was you that told us how to minister. I mean, in a couple of weeks, we're going, to look at, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 10, and we'll see Jesus like broke it down with them. He's like, go here. If they say this, say this. I mean, he, he, was, he, he broke it down for these disciples. He made it simple for them to go and to share their faith. And they were wondering at the end, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm, I'm giving you me. The Spirit of God's going to take up residence in your heart. Now, I, I know you guys have been part of this congregation for a long time, so most of you this doesn't apply, but for some people, I mean, some of you come from a theological background where the Holy Spirit, I mean, it's not something you talk about. It, it, it's not something you pray for and you don't want to be baptized in. And honestly, I understand because I, I, I grew up the same way. I, I went to... Baptist elementary schools when I was a kid. And, and I was taught from time to time, oh, oh you know, it was kind of confusing because I was going to Calvary Chapel and I go to school and they're like, don't, don't raise your hands. Don't pray for the Spirit. I remember one lady telling me, if you pray for a baptism of the Spirit, you might get possessed with a demon. What? And I love it. If you come from that background, I don't want to make fun of that. I want you to hear this though. Jesus equates the gift of the Holy Spirit with you as parents giving gifts to your kids. He says, come on, dads. I mean, which one of you, which one of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Really? I mean, the worst dad in the room. I'm gonna look up because I don't wanna look at, you were looking at me when I said that. No, I wasn't. (laughs) The worst dad in the room, whoever that is. If your boy is like, I want bread, you wouldn't give him a stone because you'd be thinking, he's going to crack his tooth, that's going to cost me money. Even the worst dad in the room wouldn't give his son bread, or stones to eat instead of bread. And you moms, if your little girl is like, I want some eggs, none of you, none of you 
would be like, oh, okay. Here's a scorpion. Here's a snake. Hope it doesn't bite you on the way down. Oh, that's ridiculous. And Jesus, listen, listen, that's not, on, that's not an accident. He equates those things together and he says, if you being evil, and we are, we have attitudes, we get frustrated with our kids at times. If you being evil know how to give good things to your kids, I love to bless my kids. He says, how much more do I want to give the good gift, he says in Matthew 7. In Luke 11, the Holy Spirit to him who asks. You see, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. You see, when I come to him and say, Lord, Lord, even if I don't really understand the, the, the theology behind it or what it totally means, all I know is I need less of me and more of you. And not just the moment you come into my heart, but every single day, I need you to show me how, how to talk to this guy, how to minister to my husband or my wife. I need you, Lord, to be the power behind the ministry in my life. He's not going to give you a demon. It's ridiculous. It's going to be a good thing. A good thing when you say, God, I need you. I need you in my heart. I need you in my life. I need you to fill me with your spirit. It's the only way you can have discernment to judge rightly, to let God work in your heart and then be used of him to work in other people's lives. See, God doesn't want you to be a Pharisee and he doesn't want you to be a Sadducee. He wants you to be a disciple where you deal with your own stuff by the power of his spirit. And then when you see clearly, you gently, lovingly, led by his spirit, are being able to deal with the life of others. I don't know about you, but that, that's what I want. I, I want people to minister to me. I don't always know what I'm doing. I don't always know the right way to go. I don't want people to be critical just because they don't understand. I don't want people to deal with me judgmentally because what I'm dealing with is what they're dealing with. But I want brothers to come alongside me and say, hey, 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 man, we need to pray about this. And that's the point. That's the point. You see, Jesus sums this all up by getting to verse 12 and telling us that all of this comes down to one simple statement. He says in verse 12, therefore, it's a summary statement, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Jesus says, I'm going to sum this all up by saying, whatever you want people to do to you, that's what you need to do. That's what you need to be about as a disciple. Now, detractors from the Bible say, oh, Jesus was just copying. He, he, was, just, he was just saying stuff that had been said before. And... and they're sort of right. I mean, Confucius, Confucius, eh? <laughs> Confucius said, don't do to men what you don't want done to you. All right? Aristotle said, what you don't want done, don't do. <laughs> Pretty simple. Socrates said, whatever is displeasing to you, don't do it to others. But friends, you got to see, Jesus is being radically different. It's not just, I don't want to be killed, so I'm not going to kill someone. 
It's more than not hating. It's loving. It's, it's more than not stealing. It, it's having a life of giving. It's more than not imposing. It's ministering. It's saying, what do I want done? What do I want to see happen in my community, in my life, in my church? So I want to be about it in my own life. God, I want you to deal with me. I want you to shine the light of your spirit onto my heart and my life. And then, gently, lovingly led by the spirit. God, I want to be on the move to see how you want to use me in the life of others. Friends, that's being a disciple. I've had some people ask over the weeks, what do you mean by this? Like, you know, is a disciple not someone who just goes to church? You gotta understand, Jesus ministered to a wide variety of people. He certainly had those that hated him and were opposed to him. Then he had the multitudes that would just kind of hang out, the crowds. And then he had disciples. And being a disciple doesn't mean you're any more saved than someone who understands the cross. Don't don't misunderstand me. But I don't know about you, but for me in my life, I don't want to play church. I don't want to just show up and put in an hour and a half and so I feel better about myself and learn some religious stuff. And I want to listen to what God's saying. I want to let it get deep into my heart. And I want to be used to affect my family. I want to be used to affect this precious church that God has graciously allowed me to be a part of. I want to affect this county that we live in that so desperately needs Jesus. And friends, that comes about as we say, I want to be a disciple. We all know that Jesus said to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And we're like, yes, amen. But he also said then, then you need to love your neighbor as you do yourself. And loving our neighbor, friends, oh, it's, it's putting the arm around him and say, hey, I care about you. What's going on in your life? Let's pray together. And that's the kind of loving our neighbor we like. But it also involves at times saying, God, and you've dealt with me and I see my brother, I see my sister, and they're, they're heading the wrong direction. So God, help me, to, help me to have a pure heart. Help me to check my motives. Help me to go into it with much wisdom and much discernment. But Lord, help me not stand aside as my brother and my sister make decisions that are killing them in the end that are ripping off what God wants to do in their heart and their life. Lord, I want to be a disciple. It means I get to be someone's friend. (laughs) It also means at times I'm agents (laughs) of love and change in their life. As I go to the Lord and I say, God, deal with me. And then let me gently, by the power of your spirit, be involved in others' lives. It's being a disciple. Amen? Amen. Father, We thank you so much for who you are and what you do in our lives day after day after day after day. And I know from my my heart, Lord, and I know for most many tonight, we want to be your disciples. Not to make us any more saved. Lord, we understand salvation is by receiving the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's not to make you love us more because we realize from your word 
Oh, you are so in love with us. You love us when we are in the pig pen of sin. And you love us when we're saying amen, amen, amen to the teaching of your word. Lord, it's not to make you love us more and it's not to make us more saved. God, we want to be your disciples. To be affected in our families, in our community, in our friends, in our neighbors. Lord, teach us as you taught those men on that hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee over 2,000 years ago. But I pray for us that know and love you that tonight, God, we would just not grow weary in well-doing, but we would continue to decide to be men and be women that are about your kingdom and your business. But Lord, I also want to pray tonight that if there be anybody sitting in this room tonight, anybody at home watching online, anybody that would hear this study at a later date that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that Father, right now would be the moment that they would commit their heart and their life to you. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and if you are a believer, man, your job right now is just to pray to pray for those sitting around, to pray for those that are at home, to pray for those that may hear this message later. Just be praying that God would use it, use his word as he sees fit. But if you're sitting here tonight and you're not sure where you're at with God, maybe you've never invited him to be your savior or your Lord, or, or maybe you did, but it was just so long ago and you've, you've kind of gone your own way and done your own thing and you feel this distance from him. Friend, it is time to give your life to God tonight. And Romans 10, 9 says that can happen as you believe in your heart and then confess with your mouth. As you say, Lord, come into my heart. Come into my life. I want what you did on the cross to count for me. I want to be yours. And if you're ready to do that tonight, right where you sit, you believe in God and you're, you, you realize you're so desperate without him, man, all that's left is to confess that before him. So right now where you sit, may, maybe just a prayer between you and him. Maybe you'd pray something like this. Lord, I believe in you. I don't understand everything about you, but I, I believe in you and I know I need you. And so I pray that you would forgive me of my sin. I pray what you did on that cross, it would, it would count for me. Lord, would you teach me what it means to be a, a Christian? a disciple. For Lord, tonight, I give my life fully and completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen.